Hey, thanks for listening to Sprawlcast. This is a dire time for the news industry in Canada. And to be honest, we need your support more than ever right now. We want to keep doing in-depth local journalism that matters to Calgarians, but we can't do it without community support. So if you value the work we do, please pitch in to make it happen. You can sign up at sprawlcalgary.com. The next stop, Sprawlcast. You're listening to Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Clausus, and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Sprawl. Sprawlcast is made in collaboration with CGSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. And we are broadcasting slash podcasting from Treaty 7 territory. Sprawlcast is a show for curious Calgarians who want a deeper understanding of the city they call home. We go deep to bring you local stories that matter. Stories like this one. We had a wide range of views on this project and through civil discourse, we arrived not only at a clear decision, but a unanimous decision. We are trying to get this done uh, for September of 2026. In a time when affordability is top of mind for many Calgarians, this is an important investment in our local economy, our downtown recovery, and our future. It's definitely not a free lunch. There are costs because we're foregoing the opportunity to use those funds for other purposes. No more public dollars for the flames. It was the summer of 2021, and that was the headline on a campaign post published by Courtney Walcott. He was running for the Ward 8 seat on council at the time, and his post called for a pause on the arena deal. Walcott was tapping into a popular public sentiment that if billionaires like Flames co-owner Murray Edwards want a new arena for their NHL team, they should pay for it. The cost of the new arena was already escalating from the original $290 million committed by the city in the deal council approved in 2019. That deal had the Flames and the city splitting costs 50-50. Walcott wrote that, quote, Calgarians deserve the opportunity to weigh in on any further billionaire bailouts by their city council, not just because the Flames' ownership is asking for more money, more land, and more power, but because Calgarians were never really given the opportunity to weigh in on this deal in the first place. Walcott continued, Calgarians know better than to believe that massive public subsidies to private billionaires will revitalize our economy, end quote. And Walcott wasn't the only councillor who campaigned against public subsidies for the flames. Here's what Ward 3 councillor Jasmine Meehan said in a candidate survey before she was elected in 2021. Quote, I never would have approved the arena deal, because if there's a market for a new flames arena, the owners could build it themselves, I think they railroaded council and will take us for all we're worth. Council wanted this project and cut public engagement short to make it happen. If I could go back in time and stop the deal, I would. End quote. Fast forward a couple years. 
That deal fell apart at the end of 2021. And in April of 2023, Walcott, Meehan, and the rest of Council voted for a new $1.2 billion arena deal that saw no public engagement, no debate at Council, and has an upfront cash cost to the city of $831 million. That's nearly triple what the city put up in the 2019 deal. The Flames, by comparison, are putting up only $40 million up front. Now, over $300 million will be repaid by the Flames to the city over 35 years as part of this deal, and we'll get to that. But it's not just the numbers that are different this time around. For the 2019 deal, City Hall made it public before Council voted on it. The deal was presented and parsed for hours on the floor of Council before it was approved in an 11-4 vote. But not this time. This time, the details of the deal were kept under wraps, and the deal was passed at Council in just over 60 seconds. And while the previous deal had council critics, this council passed the new deal unanimously, with assurances that this will contribute to a broader revitalization in Victoria Park. This is a generational investment in placemaking, creating space for community to gather. This entertainment hub will feature a new event center and a community arena, along with critical infrastructure required to support growth and development. That was Mayor Jyoti Gondek speaking at a press conference on April 25th, the day the New Deal was approved and announced. In this episode, we're going to dig into how City Hall went from a $290 million commitment four years ago to committing over $800 million in cash for a new arena now. We'll look at why this deal is far less transparent than the last one, and we're going to hear from council members including the ones I just quoted, about why they voted yes, even when they campaigned on doing the opposite. Let's go back a few years. It's been nearly a decade since the Flames first put forward a proposal to replace the aging Saddle Dome. When the dome opened in 1983, it was an architectural marvel that was fully funded by public dollars, The municipal, provincial, and federal governments shared the cost, a move that was contentious at the time. Here's a CBC TV story from 1983. Thousands of Calgarians got a glimpse at the Saddle Dome this weekend. It's their first major Olympic installation, completed more than four years ahead of the Games. At three acres of precast concrete, it's the largest free-span concrete roof in the world and very expensive to build. Over 30 years later, in 2015, the Flames proposed a new pro-sports megaplex called Calgary Next to replace both the Saddle Dome and McMahon Stadium. The idea was that it would be an NHL rink combined with an indoor field house that could also be used for CFL games. Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation, or CSEC, owns both the Flames and the Stampeders, and Calgary Next would bring these teams into one house, so to speak. At the time, CSEC said this wasn't just about the sports facilities. It was also pitched as a way to invigorate civic pride and revitalize a long-neglected part of the city core. 
Now is the right time to reimagine the land along Calgary's Bow River. This is a promo video from the time. Calgary Next can be the catalyst that creates a unique new neighborhood called West Village. The proposal was for the west side of downtown, where you have the old Greyhound building and car dealerships. Imagine a new sense of place in Calgary's urban landscape with an active community featuring an arcade lined with shops and cafes. It will connect the Sonalta LRT station to the river and provide a comfortable place to gather in any season. Here's former CSEC president and CEO Ken King in 2016. Used to be you'd build a stadium someplace, you'd build an arena someplace, and that would be fine, and you'd live happily ever after. What's happening now? And if you look at this thing in Edmonton or in Detroit, they're phenomenally changing those cities. These are powerful. But the Calgary Next proposal never really lifted off. For one thing, the land is contaminated with creosote, and cleanup would be expensive. And then in early 2016, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman got involved. I believe that if this project's going to happen, the mayor needs to embrace it. The city needs to embrace it. And if he's not prepared to embrace it, then people will have to deal with that. Nahid Nenshi was the mayor of Calgary at the time, and he fought back. Perhaps in other cities that he has come to, the city councils have just written checks based on back-of-the-napkin proposals um, without any consultation to the public or without any analysis. Uh, that's not how we operate here. When Calgary Next was rolled out, the early call was for the city to contribute $200 million to a project estimated to cost just under $900 million. But in 2016, city admin pegged the actual project cost for Calgary Next at more like $1.8 billion, which effectively killed any momentum that Calgary Next had. The following year, in 2017, Nenshi ran for re-election against a conservative candidate named Bill Smith, but he also sort of ran against Gary Bettman, with Nenshi casting himself as standing up to wealthy elites who would fleece the city and its citizens for a new arena. But over time, Nenshi's position softened. Jeff Davison, a city councillor at the time, spearheaded the push for an arena deal. And in July 2019, City Hall announced that a deal had been reached between the city, CSEC, and the Stampede. But now council would have to decide. They'd have to vote on it. The new arena would cost $550 million and be split 50-50 between the Flames and the city. And we were told this would be a crucial part of the Rivers District, which is the city's vision for a culture and entertainment district in Victoria Park. I think ultimately this deal meets my criterion of public good for public benefit. The 2019 deal was especially controversial because council had just cut $60 million in city services, like transit, to ease the tax burden on small businesses. But City Hall made that arena deal public and invited public feedback on it, as council was set to vote on the matter a week later. And even then, critics called it a rush job. Here's what former councillor Evan Woolley said at the time. There is no reason to have rushed the deal. I find it to be a bullying tactic and an unnecessary ultimatum. I don't understand what council is so afraid, so afraid of and so unwilling to face the public in even a semblance 
of a conversation and the most basic of communications. I am for building a new arena. I'm a lifelong Flames fan. Being critical about one week of engagement doesn't make me anti-Flames. It doesn't mean I'm trying to kill this deal. It means I'm trying to do my job. It got pretty lively on the floor of council that summer. At one point, Woolley moved to delay the arena vote. Here was Councillor Davison's rejoinder. You should know that if this passes, this deal is done tonight, and you will forever be known as the, the council that likely lost the Calgary Flames. Woolley's motion did not pass. And on July 30th, the day of the big vote, city administration laid out its case for the deal in public. You have the opportunity today to approve a deal in a series of transactions that we believe will accelerate the redevelopment of East Victoria Park in a manner similar to that of East Village and will benefit all Calgarians. That was Glenda Cole, the acting city manager at the time. At that meeting, council members asked questions about details like the Flames getting options to purchase prime city land in Victoria Park as part of the deal. Handing Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation the opportunity for hundreds of millions of dollars in development rights in the absence of free and open competition is totally unacceptable. Council ultimately voted 11-4 in favour of that deal. The new arena looked good to go. But of course, it didn't work out that way. For one thing, costs went up, as they inevitably do. This happened with the Saddle Dome too, in the early 80s. The Saddle Dome was originally supposed to cost $84 million. But back in April, Olympic officials discovered the bill would be higher, as much as $16 million higher. The budget for the new arena was already ballooning from $550 million to over $600 million. Council approved the revised budget in July 2021. This is sometimes referred to as the 2021 deal. But then, at the end of 2021, there was a breakdown. One of the sticking points was the cost of sidewalks and solar panels, and who should pay for them. Now, those costs were relatively tiny, but in any case, the Flames walked away. Gondick and Flames co-owner Murray Edwards had a meeting on December 21st, 2021, and that was it. The deal was officially dead. But, not for long. A few weeks later, in the first city council meeting of 2022, council agreed to a fresh start, creating a new arena committee. Here's Councillor Sonia Sharp, who had become the committee's chair and the project's champion on council, along with Councillors Peter DeMong and Andre Chabot. It's a new council, um, and it's a new year. Like everyone else, I wish we were not here talking about this today. But I also choose to see the positive. The world is a different place than it was when we made the deal in 2019. In a strange way, we've been given a gift. Gift of time to rethink, to reassess. I, I do think this is a better way forward than what was originally envisioned. It does continue to support the master plan for the entertainment district. And I really hope that you will consider this as the best decision for Calgary and um, giving the opportunity to re-enter the partnership and talks with Calgary Sports and Entertainment. You heard a little of what was said at council before the 2019 deal was passed. I'd like to share some of the 2023 council debate with you, but it doesn't exist. Because this time, the conversations were kept entirely behind closed doors. This time, it took less than two minutes for council to approve the deal. 
We'll hear that shortly. The arena committee was made up of three councillors, plus two other prominent individuals. Brad Perry, the president and CEO of the city's economic development agency, and Deborah Yedlin, president and CEO of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce. From an economic standpoint, my economic lens is this is all about the economic future of Calgary and how we continue to grow as a city. This is a sign that we're investing for the future. We have a vision for the future. We're not afraid to invest in the future. That was Yedlin speaking at a committee meeting in October of 2022. Her comments were brief, but it marked one of the only times that anyone said anything on that committee that wasn't in closed session. Most of their meetings were in camera, which means the cameras were turned off. Councillor Courtney Walcott also spoke up at that October 2022 meeting, framing a new arena deal as a cultural investment. The future of our city, it's changing because of how many people are being invited in. Right? We're inviting so many more people from around the world to be a part of this culture. And as we do so, in all honesty, we have to ask ourselves, do we actually have what we need to grow that culture here? And, and that's how we need to look at our city's infrastructure. That's what the event center could be. Uh, it could be a significant cornerstone to our city's infrastructure that creates open and inclusive spaces for Calgarians from all stripes. Now we're going to listen to how the deal passed at Council. This is on April 25th. Since it's so short, I'm going to play the whole thing for you. Let's go to the next item, which is 12.2.3. This is being moved by Councillor Sharp, seconded by Councillor Chabot. Go ahead, Councillor Sharp. Thank you, Mayor. Um, so everyone always knows I'd like to take this opportunity to always thank Council um, and thank administration when I'm standing up here. Um, it's one of the opportunities I like to do all the time. Thank you to the team administration and all the externals that have been working on this um, tirelessly. And what I also want to say is stealing some words here from uh, folks we've been using all week. Uh, work on this has been moving at the speed of business, not the speed of government. And that was one thing that we have all committed to when we're being business friendly. So thank you. With that, um, as a confidential motion, there isn't much I could say. I'm closed. Thank you very much. I will go to the vote now. If you could go to eScribe to vote, everyone. Mayor, all the votes are in. Please display the results. And that is carried unanimously. This was followed hours later by a press conference in Victoria Park, where Gondek, Sharp, and Calgary Flames CEO John Bean announced the $1.2 billion deal alongside Premier Danielle Smith, who had just kicked off an election campaign. The province wasn't part of the last deal, but now they were kicking in about $300 million to pay for infrastructure upgrades around the arena, including a new 6th Street underpass. Meanwhile, a $53 million community rink is also included in the project, and the province committed to covering half its cost. On May 29th, I'm hoping Calgarians give our UCB government a clear mandate to proceed with this arena deal. Calgary, it's time to move on with this project. We can't afford to go back. And to my council colleagues, thank you for taking your commitment to public service to heart. Today marks 18 months since we were sworn in and look at what we have accomplished together. 
I asked a lot from you in 2022 when I asked you to support a new chance at getting this project done, and again, when I asked you to allow this process to take the time needed to build trust with our partners. We had a wide range of views on this project, and through civil discourse, we arrived not only at a clear decision, but a unanimous decision. Quite an achievement to have this be a unanimous decision of council. Those don't happen often, so I, I think that shows an incredible amount of support for this deal. The scope of the new deal is quite a bit bigger than the old agreement. The new project is 10 acres instead of 7, and the arena block alone is estimated to cost $926 million, which includes the arena itself, the community rink, a $35 million parkade, and $38 million for indoor and outdoor community plazas. And then there are the infrastructure upgrades which push the total to $1.2 billion. This time, we have laid out everything that needs to be done to ensure that this is a community building process and that the project itself is bigger than one facility. So the event center and the community arena are one component of building out this district. The infrastructure that previously wasn't talked about is now on display. We know we need a sixth street underpass. We know we need roadway improvements. We know there's many things that we need to do to bring this area to life. And that is transparent to every partner that is here. We all understand what the obligations are to deliver on a community capacity building project. When the city presents the arena deal, City Hall's contribution is portrayed as $515 million, and that's how it's often been reported in the news, too. But the reality is that the city is putting up $831 million in cash, effectively acting as banker to the Flames by loaning them money for the Flames portion of the deal. And the city won't recoup that all until around the year 2060. Remember, the Flames are only putting in $40 million up front. Here's Michael Thompson, the city's infrastructure general manager, speaking to the Arena Committee in June. The present value of the city's commitment will be $515.3 million funded from our reserves. In addition, the city will use our working capital to make available a long-term lease to Calgary Sport and Entertainment with a present value of $316 million which Calgary Sport and Entertainment will pay back to the city over 35 years. There are questions, to say the least, about how the city is going to pay for this. Some of the city portion of $515 million had already been earmarked from the previous deal and will be coming from reserves. But what about the $316 million loan to the Flames? Where specifically will those dollars come from? I asked the city and got this statement back. Quote, We will be using the city's cash reserves and liquid investments to fund the $316 million investment in the event center. End quote. I was hoping for something a little more precise, but there you go. The city announced on October 5th that final agreements had been signed. And in a Flames Q&A a couple of days later, Team President and CEO John Bean said the New Deal is reason for optimism, and he spoke specifically about the $926 million for the arena block. We have a budget of $926. Last time we started with a budget of $550, it grew to $600. You saw us do our dance, and you're like, why did you ever do that? 
we, we did it for reasons, and we didn't have a building design, so we started with a number that we kind of threw up on the wall. Well, the good news is this time we actually had a pretty good design of a building that was going to have 18,000 to 18,400 seats. So we had a pretty good idea of what we were looking for, so then we could cost it, and they updated the costing to 2021 when we were in the middle of the discussions, or 2022. And so we knew that we were now starting with a number called 926, and so another reason for optimism. So I think it's all lined up well. It's interesting to me that both the city and the flames now portray the previous deal as lacking, with inaccurate numbers that were pulled out of the air, which of course is a complete 180 from what they said at the time. We heard it was hugely beneficial for all Calgarians, that it was about more than just an arena, it was about the whole district. And we also heard that the deal was extremely rigorous. Here's what Councillor Davison, the champion of the last deal, said at the time. We've done significant and almost unprecedented due diligence on this project. In any case, Councillor Sharp has called the current budget comfortable and conservative. And she told me there are good reasons the price tag is so much higher than last time. $300 million was missing from the last deal, um, just for infrastructure. Um, this one has a community rink, so, you know, there's added costs there. But, you know, obviously inflation. So if you go back to the last deal, you look at the price tag, add $300 million to it. Probably a lot closer to the deal you see today. Um, but that $300 million would have been a city cost, which was not included in the 2021 final deal. City Hall has assured Calgarians that the new arena deal won't cause an increase in municipal taxes or new debt. But it's not that simple. I asked University of Calgary economist Trevor Toome about this. So I think that's a very mechanical way to think about public finances. It makes it sound as though it's a free lunch, which is definitely not the case. Uh, we're using public funds that exist in order to provide support for uh, this particular initiative. And it absolutely can be thought of as something that has implications for property taxes or for the amount of support given to other activities that the city uh, undertakes, you know, because those funds could have been used for achieving other objectives. You know, if one prefers lower property taxes, these funds could have been used to facilitate that. Uh, you know, several hundred million dollars in public funds uh, itself comes with if you will, an opportunity cost. We could have used those funds to, uh, say, lower debt service costs of the city or invest it to earn a return. And then that flow that comes from that would then be used to support lower property taxes. So foregoing an opportunity to have lowered uh, property taxes does mean that this decision has implications uh, for property taxes. And also we've seen in Calgary over the past several years um, some really difficult decisions taken in terms of uh, spending in different areas. Now, the last time we had a deal around the arena, it was happening at the same time as the city was cutting back on many, in some cases, critical uh, public services, including you know uh, the amount of support given to first responders in different um, in, in different ways. And so there, it was clear that the funds were also uh, not just 
having implications for what property tax levels are, but you could think of it as having implications for how much we spend on other city services. So it's it's definitely not a free lunch. There are costs because we're foregoing the opportunity to use those funds for other purposes. And, and recognizing that, I should emphasize, is not an argument for or against uh, the arena. It's just about ensuring that Calgarians have clear and transparent understanding of the choices that council is making. And this is a choice that comes with a cost. But here's the thing. Do we have enough information to really understand the importance of the deal? Toome says he doesn't think so. The actual agreements still haven't been made public. The city says they still need to be reviewed for proprietary and financially sensitive details, and we'll see them by the end of the year. You know, what are the risks that the city is exposed to in the future as a result of the deal? Like there's, there's a lot of complexities that have just been completely pushed to the side in order to get a deal done. And, and I think in some quarters, having a deal, regardless of the details, is the objective, uh, just so that we can say that a deal is done and we're moving forward and this, that, and the other thing. But the the details do matter for the financial health of the city, uh, for our ability to f- provide other public services or, or uh, for property taxes on businesses and individuals. So I think we do and, and should always have a broader public conversation when large decisions are being taken by council. Uh, and that means dispassionate, clear, uh, accessible information being provided about the nature of the deal uh, and time to digest and explore what the implications of that deal is. And we, and we do this for so many other things. Uh, we probably do this more than we should in, in certain other things, thinking about uh, ch- changing a zoning um bylaw restriction for a particular piece of property takes a very long time and inhibits you know, building out uh, the, the housing supply uh, of the city, for example. But we don't do that when we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars in support of a um, um, an arena and the associated infrastructure and so on. So the conversation is definitely missing. That's an interesting point. And I asked Councillor Sharp about this. When the city was debating the housing strategy in September, one of the most contentious points was around changing the base level of zoning citywide to include row houses and townhouses. And in that debate, Sharp repeatedly advocated for the public to have a voice when it comes to zoning changes on individual parcels of land in their neighborhoods. We can't cut the public out of a process. A public hearing ensures the community voice is heard But on the arena deal, Sharp made no such call for public engagement. I asked her why she advocated so strongly for public input when someone wants to build a row house down the street, but not when City Hall wants to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on an NHL arena. I would say you're actually comparing apples and oranges. And the reason I say that is because um, people's one one of the biggest personal investments to people is their house. Um, and what happens in their community is actually, um, you know, it's very important to them. And, um, and, and with this, with, with this is that we're not taking away public engagement. There was public engagement with the housing strategy. There is a clause in there to take away public engagement. So I I would say that's almost apples and oranges there. Um, but 
I would say what we heard in 2019, actually all the way back to 2017, 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020, a lot of the community input was taken into consideration. And that actually helped shape negotiations um, for CAICON, um, who was doing the negotiation at this time. Will there be um, an opportunity for the public to see this? Well, th this file still has to, you know, go through a development permit. The public is going to see that. They're going to submit comments. Um, but for the negotiation piece, generally on infrastructure projects like this, um, there's going to be, you know, a little less public involvement when this is the third time now that we need to get through this. And we know we need to fulfill an infrastructure project that Calgary has really had on the book since 2017. And, um, you know, I, I would say that I, we had a lot of, a lot of feedback given in those years and our negotiators had all of that information. So a question I've heard people ask is what really happened with that vote in April? Why did council vote unanimously on a deal that sees the city forking over nearly three times what the last council agreed to in 2019. Why were there no critics on council? Here's former councillor Jeremy Farkas on the Calgary Eye Opener on CBC Radio in April after the announcement of the New Deal. There's a number of different questions here, but just in terms of the, the political savvy that Danielle is showing by getting, of all people, Jody Gondek up on stage at what essentially is a, a UCP campaign event smiling. You know, they, she has essentially made this council complicit in this with a 15 to, to 0 vote, making these progressive councillors like uh, Councillor Walcott, Councillor Penner, into the UCP sword and shield on these issues. I spoke directly with these and other councillors about why they voted the way they did. Here are councillors Courtney Penner and Evan Spencer. So I think for me is really looking at, you know, who do we want to be as a city when we grow up? And what are the things that get us towards those goals? Um, and I think for, for me, this is one of those milestone projects that gets us there. Uh, and so, you know, is it is it favored by everybody? No. Um, if I was on the other side and, and being part of the Twitterati and I wasn't on council, I'd probably be, you know, equally frustrated. I'm sure I would have been. Um, things are different on this side. When you look at the scope and the plans and the potential that arises from it, um, it's hard not to get behind, actually. So part of the issue, I think, with this, like if you compare it to 2019... With that deal, admin presented it to council on the floor of council. It was presented in quite some detail, dissected and debated on the floor of council. On this one, council passed it in literally 60 seconds, no debate. Everything was done behind closed doors. So I hear you saying, how could you not when you look at it? But we haven't looked at it. Yeah. So how... <laughs> I guess, how, would, how do you justify that, that it's yeah. done behind closed doors? And to paraphrase, it seems like you guys are essentially saying, trust us. There is. Yeah, there is. Absolutely. We are, we are asking you to take a big box of trust um, and ride the journey with us for sure. Um, I, I, I would say this. I, I don't think we passed it in 60 seconds. It, it may have, have seemed like that, but that is the result of, I think, months of conversations and work and questions um, by previous skeptics, um, by current skeptics, and, and by people, you know, on all sides of the equation on, on the previous deals. 
um, the deals are they're, they're not the same um, and and that's a good thing right it's a good thing that we didn't rinse and repeat right with just a bigger price take I think it's a good thing that we went back and actually got services and amenities for Calgarians um, that they can use and that they can be proud of and that can anchor um, a part of the city that that needs some much needed investment in um, you know whether that is road right of way whether that is like coinciding with you know, the green line that is coming through or the BMO. And it's really about tying those pieces together. So this deal really tied those pieces together in ways that weren't imagined before. So for me, the public realm side of things was was really critical and really important. And I think we got that. So why wasn't it put on the floor of council in ways that it was before? I think in part because that's actually not how good deals happen. I mean, imagine if you did your real estate deal, you know, for every anyone to come and watch your back and forth negotiation, you know, on purchasing a house or, or buying a car and it was sort of open to the public. Um, I don't think anyone would actually come with their best and most honest selves. I think they'd always be guarded and afraid. And so this allowed for a, a degree more of honesty between the parties um, on what they were willing to give, but also what they were willing to give up. Yeah, I would say obviously the conversation was insulated this time for political reasons right because it's a super contentious decision point but in the end all those documents are going to be public um it just we're not we didn't do a plebiscite we didn't there wasn't the runway for a long-term uh, conversation ahead of time and i i think the fact that it was essentially a refresh of a previous conversation calgarians were heard spencer said that council members heard a convincing case from caa icon the consultant hired by City Hall to advise the city and negotiate the deal. And they did a really good job of presenting the trade-offs of you know what would happen if the window that was available to the city um, to refresh this infrastructure, and if we if we chose to kind of put our feet down and say you know we're not spending public money or not not a large chunk of pu- public money in this direction where this conversation could potentially go. And it certainly wasn't a, it wouldn't have been a scare tactic. It was just like a, here's pragmatically what we've seen happen in other jurisdictions. Um, And then again, you add that to the long-term picture thinking, the fact that we have BMO coming online and some of these other pieces, I think think that's why you got the unanimous vote. You started to connect all those dots and you went, boy, do we really want to be the council that kind of divests of our arts and culture Uh, and an entertainment district. I also reached out to Councillor Jasmine Meehan. Remember, as a candidate, she'd said that, quote, if there's a market for a new Flames arena, the owners could build it themselves. Meehan is currently on maternity leave, but she sent the sprawl a statement. And in that statement, she noted that the Saddle Dome was built with public money and has been an important feature of the city and its culture for decades. Quote, It's a big part of the city's image, and I moved away from my staunch opposition because I started to see that it was public money that had led to this public benefit. The more I learned about the vision for downtown and the state of disrepair of the Saddle Dome, the more I was convinced that a replacement was needed for the next 30 years, and there likely had to be a role for the public in that. End quote. Like other council members, Meehan says this deal is better than the last one. Quote, I'm someone who is very critical of the project as an observer, and I'm also someone who changed my mind about it. Both perspectives can coexist, 
and both are important, end quote. I also asked Councillor Courtney Walcott what changed for him. The big change is really a question around what did we get for the money that citizens were putting into it. Uh, being able to leverage the city's money to get more than that from our different partners, the province and the CSEC. We put in 537, we got back 680 million uh, to support a project like this. That was a big change from the first one in which uh, we put a lot of money up and in all honesty, we didn't actually get anything leveraged out of it outside of the arena itself. I read him his previous comments on how Calgarians deserve the opportunity to weigh in on any further billionaire bailouts by their city council, and how Calgarians know better than to believe that massive public subsidies to private billionaires will revitalize our economy. So how do you square that with your position now? Yeah, the big one there is, is really around whether or not I got my way entirely, and the answer will never be yes. Um, when you're looking at kind of some of the decisions about how these processes go, I am subject to my colleagues and the way that we wanted to work out. So on a balance of probabilities, it didn't all go my way. The big question, though, on revitalization was the idea of what are we getting back? Will uh, an arena itself just suddenly be the, the, the catalyst for everything? And the answer was never yes. It was always no. The city needed different things. Were we going to get land back? Were we going to be forced to build uh, an underpass that was written into the old contract but not priced out? The answer was that was yes. Were we actually going to be sending land over to CSIC and the Stampede and not through us at all? Do we retain any ownership of anything? And the answer to all those questions was that no, we didn't get any of that in the first deal. There was nothing actually revitalizing about it, nothing coming back to, to the city in these processes. The new, the new deal itself actually saw us see these assets return to us and see these assets not only like built but paid for by other people and maintained by the city. We get to hold it. We get the land. We get the work on the underpass. We don't have to pay for it. We get the actual uplift in the area. We finished BMO. Stampede Trail is now ours. Uh, the list of things that we received for the public is way different than the first time. But I admit, it's never the way we want because we sent a different priority list to the province. But when it comes down to our partners offering funding, sometimes you see what's available out there and you make the deal accordingly. I also asked Walcott why this deal was so much less transparent than the 2019 one. And then the complexities of actually getting all these different partners here meant that there were a lot of different demands of, of privacy to actually ensure that the business deal was done correctly versus what we saw get created on the floor. I would actually I would put the argument that some of the ways that the last process done is what contributed to some of its biggest challenges and flaws and not improvement. Uh, because we didn't look at it like an investment or a deal. We looked at it as something that we can negotiate our way through uh, without actually allowing people with expertise to do the negotiations on our behalf. That was such a huge problem for me, is that counselors, we are not business experts, uh, even though some of us will, will, will have that commentary in the public. This deal we actually wanted to put in the hands of people who knew every aspect of creating these deals give them full control of doing it. And one aspect of doing that is making sure that you're not building it on the floor of council and that you're actually allowing people to negotiate in good faith. I asked Councillor Sharp as well about the lack of transparency on this deal. What I will say about this time around 
um, everything about this was going to be different. It was one of the first things that I said as the chair, um, what I've learned from business and what I've learned from coming from the business world is fair agreement requires high level of trust and, and, and honesty between partners. Um, and negotiating in public is not an effective way to do that. And, um, you know, we hired a third party, uh, the CA icon who did the negotiation for administration and for, um, uh, the politicians, right. So for council. And, um, I think that's, you know, one of the main reasons why we saw this agreement succeed and why we have, you know, a superior deal compared to last time. The company that advised and negotiated the deal for the city is called CAA Icon, and that same company is now the project's development manager. It's an American consulting firm that cities hire to get pro sports stadiums and arenas built. And I asked Sharp if it isn't a conflict of interest for a negotiator to broker a deal that they are now the direct beneficiary of. She suggested I ask administration that question, as council members aren't involved in procurement. I did ask city admin, and the city sent back a statement saying that, to ensure fairness in the procurement process, the city required that the team at CAA ICON, working on the development management proposal, not include anyone from the company who was involved in the negotiation and advisory work and also that the proposal team at the company didn't have access to confidential information about the arena deal. Okay, I think at this point many of us are left with more questions than answers. We've heard a lot from politicians about what the Saddle Dome and the new arena mean for the culture of the city. But, speaking of culture, what I really want to know is... With the dome slated for demolition yet again, has anyone checked in on our local friend from the movie FUBAR? My name is Terry Cahill, loyal fan to the Calgary Flames. So up top there, top of the dome, that's where there's like a different energy, you know, it's a little bit more gritty. You can see the hole, right? You see, you see? Top of the dome, do you? Maybe that's a future episode. End of line. Thanks for listening and see you again soon. You've been listening to Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Clausus and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Sprawl. Make sure to sign up for The Sprawl's weekly newsletter. That's the best way to follow what The Sprawl is up to. And you can sign up for that newsletter on our website at sprawlcalgary.com. There's a full transcript of this episode on our website, complete with photos and other visual miscellany from this story. In this episode, you heard old news clips from the Calgary Sun, Canadian Press, CBC, and Global News. You also heard clips from FUBAR's YouTube channel. This episode was edited by Mike Todd. Our theme music is by Dan D. Augustino and Kenny Murdoch. Our C-Train narrator is Holly McConnell. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Hey, thanks again for listening to Sprawlcast. 
Like I said at the start of the show, this is a dire time for the news industry in Canada. We can't do in-depth journalism like this without community support. Stories like this one take a lot of time, a lot of research, and a lot of work. I think it's worth it. I think it's beneficial to the community, and Calgary is better for the work that the sprawl does. If you think so too, don't just listen. Please pitch in to support what we do. You can sign up at sprawlcalgary.com.